I want to say it's so great to be back with you today. Uh, I have a tremendous sense of deja vu because I was just here 24 hours ago in this very same position. But fear not, not giving the same message. Um, I want to share... You're hitting something that our, my congregation got several weeks ago. <laughs> um, but it's not leftover, so don't worry about it. And unlike the previous gentleman who just stood here, I will not put you to sleep. Um, <laughs> but... You know that, that, that Beth Star Shalom and Sojourner Ministries, my ministry, is all about exploring the Jewish heart of Christianity. And Jesus is the Jewish heart of our faith. Uh, he is uh, the Jewish heart of Christianity. And so what we're going to do, explore today as we, as we look into uh, exactly the facet of Jesus, the aspect of Jesus that we're talking about, we're going to see how he fulfills a very, very important holiday. I don't know how you celebrate celebrated uh, Pentecost here at Willow Bend. Uh, I know how I celebrate, we celebrate Bessar Shalom, uh, but uh, I want to bring a little bit of that Pentecost message to you, an abbreviated version of it, uh, because I am like the mummy pressed for time. Uh, and uh, we're going to see how Jesus is the fulfillment. And really, Pentecost is a story of two people groups, a story of two mountains, a story of two gifts. But above all, the question is, who do you trust? It's about trust. And I know that in a time when a congregation like Willow Bend is going through a transition, I know that trust becomes paramount uh, to moving forward together. And so I'm with you. And I want to share the Word of God with you this morning from both Testaments, if, uh, if I would. Uh, but first, I want to tell you why it's important to study the Jewish holidays, any of the Jewish holidays. There's a reason that I speak primarily on these days. And let's see the first slide. I don't have a clicker here, so I'm dependent on, on you. Thank you. Um, Colossians 2 tells us exactly why uh, the Jewish holidays are very important. It says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. Let no one judge you in regard to any aspects of Jewish festivals, new moons, Sabbath days, food. Jewish customs, in other words. Because these are things which are... Is there another slide? Because I'm hanging in suspense right there. Okay, well, we don't have the other slide right here. That's okay. Well, I'm not going to leave you hanging. There really is another verse to it. Um, these Jewish holidays, these Jewish festivals are shadows of things to come. In other words, every Jewish holiday is a, is a prophetic type of uh, God's plan and program for Jewish people, for Gentile people, non-Jewish people. Um, and the substance, he goes on to say in 2.17, the substance is Christ. The substance, scratch the surface of a Jewish festival and you will find, you'll find Jesus. Say, Pentecost, I didn't know that was a Jewish festival. Uh, I, I thought that was a Christian festival, Acts 2. Well, it is a, the answer to both is yes, right? It is Jewish and it is Christian. That's 
another aspect of these two gifts, two peoples, and uh, two mountains that we're going to explore. The second reason, let's go to the next one, the second reason that we study the Jewish festivals is that they're important to God. God said to Moses, look at this verse in Leviticus 23, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my fixed times. It's very, very important to notice what's in the scripture and also to notice what is not in the scripture. And what is not there is that these are Israel's appointed times. These are your appointed times. He says, these are my appointed times, my special times, my times of convocations, which you shall proclaim as sacred occasions. Why shall you proclaim them as sacred? Because they're important to me. They're my days. And if they're important to the Lord, back in Moses' day, some mere 3,500 years ago, which, you know, in God time is, you know, three and a half days ago, uh, but then I dare say that we should be at least somewhat familiar with these days, and especially Pentecost, which has such an important Christian message to it for believers of all uh, stripes. Let's go to the next slide. I want to look just at one. There are many passages in the uh, Hebrew Bible that talk about Pentecost. It's, uh, it's a very important holiday. Uh, but uh, I'm just going to focus in on one, uh, which is on two slides. And it says, you shall count seven weeks. See, the holiday in Hebrew is called Shavuot. Shavuot is a week. So weeks in Hebrew is Shavuot, or 50 days in Greek, Pentecost cost, right? So we're talking about 50 days, 7 weeks. Begin the count 7 weeks from the time the sickle is first laid to the standing grave. This happens at Passover time, the week of Passover. And then you shall keep the festival of weeks, Shavuot, or Pentecost, to the Lord your God, contributing a free will, a free will, not a free will, woo, free will and offering, a free will, those are good too, free will offering in proportion to the blessing that you have received from the Lord your God. Next slide. And rejoice. Before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male, your female slaves, the Levites, everybody, all Israel is commanded to come to the central location of worship, which was the temple in ancient Israel, tabernacle before that, to rejoice before the Lord your God. Uh, And uh, the point of it at the end of this passage is remember that you were a slave in Egypt. It's a memorial. It's linked to a historical event of redemption. I think it's very, very important to always link holidays, and the Lord sets a precedent, um, to always link holidays, observance days, to great historical events that we are commemorating, memorializing. I mean, we do this all the time when we take communion. How often do you take communion at Willowbend? How often is communion taken here? Like once a month, once a quarter? Once a quarter, okay? So, linked to a historical event. What historical event is communion, the ritual of communion? Linked to? The death, burial, resurrection of our Messiah, right? Okay, of course. So, it's very, very important. So, now let's get back to this two peoples, two mountains, two uh, gifts. Pentecost, although it's an agricultural festival, 
in, uh, uh, as it's given in the Torah, in the Mosaic Law. It's an agricultural festival. You know, people don't stay in an agrarian society forever. So what was particularly meaningful to 100% of the population in ancient Israel became less and less meaningful as more and more Jewish people moved into cosmopolitan areas and, and got away from the agrarian uh, lifestyle of bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, coming rejoicing, right? Bringing in the sheaves, old Hebrew uh, spiritual, I don't know if you knew it. Uh, but, uh, uh, and so the rabbis said, we need to attach a historical event to this agrarian worship day. What can we attach? What happened in the, in the vicinity historically, of Pentecost. And the giving of the law happens in the neighborhood. And so it began to be observed as the anniversary of the giving of the law at Sinai. The giving of the law at Sinai. That brings us to the first mountain, right? Um, Mount Sinai. And the main passage for Jewish people in studying Pentecost or in celebrating Pentecost is remembering the giving of the law, which is found in Exodus 19 and 20. I'm just going to uh, summarize as we look at uh, Mount Sinai. I'm just going to summarize a little bit uh, and read a little bit of uh, what they went through. And one of the things that I want to point out is that in Exodus 19, as Israel gathered at Mount Sinai, uh, God calls the Jewish people, this is where the chosen people become the chosen people, he calls them a kingdom of priests. You are a peculiar people to me. You, and some people say, yes, I agree with that completely. The Jewish people are uh, rather peculiar. Uh, but no, it means special. All right? A special choice. You are the chosen people. And what are you chosen for? To be my chosen intercessors. You are a nation, a kingdom of priests. So that you would, what does a priest do? A priest intercedes between uh, man and God stands in the gap and intercedes between man and God, representing God to man, man to God. So Israel to represent the nations to God, and God especially to the nations. And it's very, very important that we trust our intercessor. It's always very, very important. And then Moses is called up. We saw the movie. You know how basically how it goes. Uh, but uh, uh, the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to come to you in front of the people in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and trust you ever after. Because God understands that if Moses is going to be the intercessor for Israel, if Moses is going to be the priest for Israel, now he doesn't become the high priest, the high priest eventually is Aaron, his brother, but for right now, in delivering law, Moses is the leader of choice, he's the intercessor, and God wants to make certain that everyone in Israel trusts their intercessor. Because if you don't trust your intercessor... How in the world are you going to believe anything he says? Right? So God says, I'm going to put on a show. I'm going to show up in a dense cloud. And the people will know that you are my choice. You are my, uh, my, my chosen representative to represent me before them and them before me. You are the intercessor. You are the intermediary. You are my man. And he calls all the people to Mount Sinai. Right? And it says in uh, Exodus 17, I'm going to just read a little bit. You don't have to have it on the slides. It's, uh, I'm just going to read it. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. 
Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because God had descended upon it in fire. And the smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln and it shook the whole mountain violently. Now, earlier in the passage, it not only mentions that while all this is going on, the mountain is shaking violently, it also tells us that the people are sh- They're so frightened by what's going on. They're trembling. They're not just trembling, they're shaking. So the mountain is shaking. The people are shaking. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. Uh, but um, <laughs> the trumpet blew, and Moses would speak, and God would answer him in thunder. And the Lord said to Moses, don't let, the people, don't let the people touch the mountain. They're so scared, I don't think there's any, <laughs> any possibility of that happening. They're kind of close, but not too close. Because you know what? When God appears in that kind of majestic uh, uh, fashion, you don't want to come too close to God. It's not particularly inviting. So keep your distance. God is near, but not too near. And Exodus 20 continues. The people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking. They were afraid. They stood at a distance. Moses said, do not be afraid. The Lord has come to test you and put the fear of you upon you, fear of him upon you, so that you do not sin. And what happens is that God speaks the Ten Commandments with his own voice to the nation of Israel. God speaks directly to the Jewish people. And after hearing the Ten Commandments spoken of from heaven, the Jewish people say, the Israelites say to Moses, Well, so that's what direct access to God is like. We've had sufficient. From now on, Moses, you speak to us as our intercessor. God will, it's like telephone. God will speak to you. You will speak to us. We'll speak to you. You speak back to God, right? And Moses, something about it is so terrifying, so overwhelming, that they do not want any, that's enough of direct access to God. Moses, stand in, but get in front of us, Moses, and you be our intermediary, our intercessor before God. And then Moses goes up on the mountain once again and disappears into the dense, thick cloud surrounding the mountain, leaving the people as he goes to commune with God. The problem now is, that Moses doesn't come back down. Right? Bible tells us he's gone for 40 days. And during that period of time, the Jewish people, having seen Moses disappear into a cloud up the mountain, he's 80 years of age after all. Who knows what could happen? They're like, they put all their chips on Moses. They've, Moses is, is all their eggs in one basket. And what happens if something happened to him? What happens to the Israelites? Because if he's the intercessor representing them to God, and they, they don't want direct access to and the intercessor uh, had a mishap on the mountain, they're in trouble, and they get scared. And when you get scared, you do stupid things. And so they build something 
that will give them a physical representation of of God that they can they can feel better about they can trust and that's of course the golden calf that happens in chapter 32 Moses comes down the mountain of course at that propitious moment and he sees the people engaging in all kinds of rebellion with a calf and he says you have sinned grievously who is on the Lord's side come to me and the Levites it's not like in the movie the Levites, his own tribe, are the ones who come to him. And he tells them to take their swords, go start killing the rebels. And 3,000 rebels, 3,000 rebellious Israelites are killed until Moses says, enough. That is the story of the giving of the law in a nutshell. Seven, eight minute nutshell. Right? That is what is remembered, commemorated for Jewish people on Pentecost. Now, I, I don't know about you. But I love movies, right? And one of the things I am so excited about is that we are right now living in the golden age of the multiple sequels, right? Like, for example, when I was a kid, I don't know if some of you remember, when I was a, a kid, a teenager, you know, we had the, uh, the, the first Star Wars came out, you know, and then, oh, it was two, three years before Empire came out, and then I had to wait all the way till I was a senior in high school before uh, Return of the Jedi came out. It was, it was torture waiting two, three years, you know? Even, even if you're a James Bond fan, you don't have to wait, generally, you don't have to wait three years. It's like every two years. And now, with all the superhero movies, Wow, I don't have to wait very long at all, right? I mean, I used to have to wait, how long is it going to be between the Superman movies and, and then and the Batman movies? It's three years. Why is it taking so long? And now, like every summer, there's superhero movie, multiple superhero. And then in Thanksgiving, there's... So I get to see sequels galore. I don't know if the, I may be the only person who enjoys that in the room, uh, uh, but in which case it's true confessions. Uh, but um, Act 2 contains the sequel to what happened at Mount Sinai, Acts 2. I told you it's a story of two people groups, two mountains, two gifts. The gift on that mountain was the external Torah, the, the, the law written on tablets, and of course there are 603 other laws besides the Ten Commandments that are given at that time, but the external law, the Mosaic Code. On the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, 1,500 years later, Acts 2 tells us that all the Jewish people were gathered. Why were they gathered? We read at the beginning. It's a pilgrimage festival. Everybody comes to the central location of worship, which is the, the temple in Jerusalem. And who would also be there? The apostles. They happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. They wouldn't be disobedient to the law. And while thousands, tens of thousands of people are gathered together that morning to worship God and commemorate the giving of the law, something extraordinary happens. Acts 2 tells us that all of a sudden there is a sound like a rushing wind. It's not a rushing wind, but it's a sound, it's a noise. And the closest thing uh, Luke could describe it to was a rushing wind. And that went through the whole temple very, very quickly. Boom. But nobody felt the wind. It wasn't like a breeze. It was just a sound. Noise. Got people's attention. And then on the back of that, all of a sudden, something like fire 
appears over the top of 12 people's heads of the apostles. It wasn't fire. It was something like fire. And it, it, it appeared, this, this, it's the Shekinah glory, the, the Shekinah glory of God, appears and distributes itself into 12 pieces. And then it's gone. So something for the eyes, something for the ears, something to engage the senses, to get people's attention. And once people's attention are gotten, the twelve apostles begin to speak in the languages of all of the diaspora Jews who were there. They're Galileans. They know that... uh, these guys are Galileans because no matter what languages they're speaking, they're speaking in a Galilean accent. And some people say, you must be drunk. Why? Because something about, about the effusion, the passion. I was watching, I, anybody remember the old Ed Sullivan show? You know, some of you may, may, may be old enough to remember that. I was watching a PBS special, going through my v, VHS tapes, right? And years ago... 20, 30 years ago, I had recorded an Ed Sullivan PBS special, right? Uh, and I'm watching this singer called Johnny Ray. You ever hear Johnny Ray, right? Uh, Cry was his big song. It's pre-rock and roll. And he's all histrionic and he's singing. And I was like, oh, I thought Joe Cocker made up that, you know, that kind of, and, and, and the, you know, and all the rock guys did. No, this guy in a nice suit and with a, with his with his nice slick back hair, but it was really long. And you know, he'd run his fingers through his hair, and, you know, and and you could look at him and say, "Well, this guy's on something." But no, he was just passionately singing a song. I was in black and white. It's like 1956, 1958, Toast of the Town. And so, something about God visiting the Holy Spirit indwelling these apostles and the passion. Made people think, oh, well, there's something up with that. But Peter, as the spokesman of the group, he gets up and he, you know, he says, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, uh, fellow Israelites, uh, we're not drunk, as you suppose, as you may suppose, because, you know, first of all, it's nine o'clock in the morning and no Jewish bars are open yet. Uh, but uh, it's also a holiday. They'd be closed. Uh, <laughs> and he preaches a message. And the message that he preaches is about Jesus, the Messiah, who is the fulfillment of all the Hebrew Bible had promised about uh, what the Messiah, who the Messiah would be. And he said and he died and he was resurrected and he is our intercessor. He is our Messiah. That's what a Messiah is for. That's the point of a, of a Messiah, to intercede, to represent God to man and man to God? And he said, we're witnesses. And the whole point of the sound and the light show that you saw, which, you know, was very similar, if you think about it, to the sound and the light show, the fire, the noise at Mount Sinai 1,500 years earlier. The whole point was to demonstrate that you don't have to take my word for it. God is conveying to you that Jesus is your intercessor. That Jesus is the Messiah. And he died and he was resurrected. 
And he has given his life for the forgiveness of your sins. So all that you've done in your life. You know the Jewish people, they had a temple, uh, a sacrificial system. They could take care of most of the sin problems they had in their lives by uh, a, a blood transaction or a financial transaction or a sacrificial transaction of some sort. But there were some things that the sacrificial system simply was not set up to take care of. But Peter says there that all sins can be forgiven through Jesus the Messiah. All you need to do is repent. And repent doesn't mean, in the Bible, repentance does not mean boo-hoo-hoo, I feel so bad for what I did. Repentance, shuv in Hebrew, or metanoia in Greek, both mean a change. Change your mind. Change your mind about what? Change your mind about the most important thing there is, which is whether or not Jesus is the Messiah and who is your intercessor or not. Right? It means to turn from one direction to another. You're walking down this road, you change your mind, you're going to walk down this road now. Okay? It's a turnaround. U-turn. You're going to make a U-turn about Jesus because he is your intercessor. And the Jewish people, well, the Israelites there, it's the most amazing sermon, uh, but it doesn't get finished. Peter doesn't get to finish his message. Why? Because people uh, break it up? No, people say, what must we do to be saved? Preachers wait all their lives to hear a crowd of people interrupt their message and say, what must we do? You haven't finished your message, but what you said was enough. We get the point. And 3,000 Jewish people that morning trust in the Lord. 3,000 Jewish individuals from the entirety of the Israelites that are gathered there. So we have the two mountains. We have the two gifts. The gift of Torah, external law on tablets. Now we have an internal Torah, an indwelling Torah. Jesus is the incarnate Word of God, remember? And He is in us through His Spirit. And so they receive that gift. And instead of all Israel, it is merely a few. 3,000 that day. God works with individuals on that day. That's how Christianity works. Not corporately, right? God doesn't have grandchildren. You can't be saved and all the rest of your family are fine just because of you. God works with individuals. The question that I have for you today, this morning, is this is a nice history lesson, a nice Bible lesson, yeah. Okay? And isn't it nice to see that God actually uh, uh, continues a, a thread of redemption 1,500 years later, lays out the, the, uh, uh, the setup, and then provides the sequel for his people. It's always interesting to see, in case you miss it, 3,000 people died at Mount Sinai. 
but 3,000 Jews found life on the Temple Mount that morning. Indicating that God balances his books. But apparently one thing that I learned is that no matter how much time goes by, he doesn't pay interest. 3,000 equals 3,000. But now, what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with me? What does Pentecost now? 2,000 years after the events described in Acts 2. What does that have to do with us? Three reasons that God chose to indwell us with his spirit 1,500 years ago in a superior, with a superior technique than he chose to do with his chosen people 3,500 years ago. And the three reasons have to do with relationship, intercession, and presence. God wants a relationship with us. How does God go about achieving that relationship? If I were to approach the mountain of the Lord, how close could I get today? Because of the new covenant. It's not that we get to come close. It's that he has preemptively come close to us. Closer than the very air we breathe. It's not like on Sinai where God is what? Remember, God is watching us from a distance, right, Bent Midler? Right? Big hit 25 years ago. That always made me mad. God is watching us from a distance. Maybe he's watching you, Bette Midler, from a distance. But I'm a believer in Jesus, the Messiah, and he's right here with me. So God had a relationship with corporate Israel, but you couldn't get too close there. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us we all can approach the throne of grace with confidence and boldness to find help in time of need. And I don't know about you, but I have times of need, and I take advantage of that privilege every chance I get. In a church going through a transition, like you're going through, this is a time, corporately and individually, to take advantage of that great privilege, that great relationship that we have, to approach the throne of grace in time of need. Well, Moses... Intercessor, the second point. Moses was the intercessor for Israel. And it was essential. God made sure that the Jewish people trusted in their intercessor. But now the Holy Spirit has given us direct access to God. And we have an intercessor. Again, the book of Hebrews tells us we have a great high priest who's opened the doorway for us to have this direct access to God that we just spoke of in relationship. And it's essential to trust your intercessor. Not just to know that you have an intercessor, like someone on retainer, that you can, well, he's just a phone call away. He's an email away. I have an intercessor on retainer. No. This intercessor you must trust all the time because he always lives to make intercession for you. So this morning question that I have for you is, who are you trusting? Who is the intercessor that you trust? Well, Moses is dead. High priesthood is kaput. Jesus is the only option that we have left. 
Don't trust in your job. Don't trust in your boss. Don't trust in your family. Don't trust in your president. Don't trust in your government. Don't trust in your state. Don't trust in anything as an intercessor. But Jesus, place your, talk about the good hands, people. Jesus is the one you want to place your life in his hand. And the final one is presence. God's presence in Israel manifested within a dense cloud. As we, so everybody do this. Breathe in. Jesus is closer to us than the very air that we just breathed. We live in a society. You know, I, this, this iPhone and, and all of the iPad that I have and all of the, the, the computers and the laptops that I have in my home, I am, we are, we are the most connected society that has ever lived. I can't go through a day without the ding-ding of a tweet and a boop-boop and a do-do-do of of an email from my wife and my specialized ringtone from my son. And and, and I go through the, you know, check your hearing. I'm hearing dings all day. I don't know. Uh, uh, Is it tinnitus? No, it's just technology, right? We're such a connected society. If we're such a connected society... How come so many of us feel isolated? How, many of, uh, how come so many of us feel so very, very alone? How come so many of us feel so disconnected? Not only to our neighbors or our family, but even to our church brothers and sisters. Right? And how come so many of us feel disconnected to God? Remember the old footsteps uh, poem, right? And, uh, you know, we're walking along and I see two sets of footsteps. I know you're with me all the time. And then I, trouble happens and you, 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 you hit the road, right? And I see only one set of footsteps. And God says, no, dummy. That's in the original version of the poem. Um, <laughs> when you only see one set of, foot, set of footsteps, I was carrying you. I, you're never apart. I will never leave you or forsake you. So as summer now hits us in its distinctive rhythms and, and, and patterns and things change, and of course, you're in a period of transition now as a church. We need the reminder of Pentecost to remind us that God not only has a relationship with us, He wants a relationship with us. And that we have His presence closer than the very air that we breathe. But only only if you trust your intercessor. It is essential to trust your intercessor. And so if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't trust that Jesus is their Messiah, that Jesus is the only way to uh, connect them between, them between yourselves and God, that Jesus is the only answer to every problem that comes in our lifespan and lifetime, then today is your day to trust that Jesus is the Messiah. Believe. Why put that off? Life is uncertain. Jesus is not. His salvation is not. 
We may not always, everybody's worried about what's going to happen here. We'll abandon the pastoral search committee and what, oh, and the numbers and the finances and the this and the that. Thank God for the telephone company. Uh, is worried about the political stuff and uh, uh, Brexit. Now Texit, I hear, is, 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 is trending. Uh, and, and, and who's running for president and who's going to make it? Who's uh, the, the lesser of two? Without, we may not always know the what. Of course we don't know the what. But we always know the whom. Jesus, the Jewish heart of our faith. He is a sure thing. And some of you, you believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But you haven't really trusted him as your intercessor for quite some time. Well, for those of you who fit into that category, today is your day. Rededicate yourself. Refocus. Reframe. And truly trust in our Messiah.